Good morning, everyone. All right, so it's a, a pleasure to be here uh, sharing the Word of God with you guys. As Keith mentioned, today we're going to be speaking about Jesus, our great high priest. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the scripture that we're going to be diving into, and from there we'll just, uh, we'll just move forward from there. All right, so we're going to be, we're, we're, we know we're in a series on Hebrews, and we're going to be in uh, Hebrews 4, cha- uh, v- chapter 4, verse 14 to chapter 5, verse 10. Hebrews 4.14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Every, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of, of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became our, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So we know that we're going to be speaking about Jesus, our great high priest. And the big idea is that since Jesus is our great high priest, all believers have access to God and can come with confidence before the throne of grace. Since Jesus is our great high priest, all believers have access to God and can come with confidence before the throne of grace. And I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer as we get ready to dive into the word of God. Lord, we come before you as your people. You are our great high priest. Lord, you can sympathize with our weakness and with our struggle. And you have made a way for us to come before a holy God. And I pray that as we dig into your word, you may help us to have the confidence to know that we are children of God and that we can boldly come before your throne to receive mercy and grace. Help us to see your heart in your word. And we ask you this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, And you know, before we get into the word, I just wanted to say, uh, I grew up in a church tradition where we had a priest. And if you did not grow up in a tradition where there was a priest, 
you might not really understand the idea of a priest that much. Where I, where I grew up in, in, a, in, in a church where before I came to God, there, was, there were a couple of religious obligations that I had to meet. Everybody, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer? In order, before I come to God and talk to Him, I had to say the Lord's Prayer, and I had to say a prayer called the Hail Mary, right? And before that, it was like if God would not listen to me if I, if I didn't say those. And most of the time, it looked like this. It was like... And I wasn't even thinking about what I was saying. I was just going through a religious obligation. And if I wanted forgiveness of my sins, I would have to go to a man and confess my sins. And and he would stand in the place of, of, of God and he would come and he would administer forgiveness. But I would also have to prove how bad I felt by repeating these same prayers maybe five or six times, depending on how bad my sin was. I was never honest with this man because I was embarrassed, but <laughs> I think every single time, it's probably because my mom is here, I think every single time I went to confession, I would say, uh, when I get in trouble, I get angry at my mom. And that deserved five Our Fathers and six Hail Marys. So I would just go on and do that after that. So anyway, and it was the same for the Jews. The Jewish people were not allowed to come before God. They had a priest who was a mediator between them and God. And the priest would go, the priest would represent God before the people, and he would represent the people before God. They needed this mediator in order to go to God. So, so if, if this might be foreign for you guys that have, may have been taught that you can always just go and pray. But, but it's the idea of a, of a, of a priest, like I said, um, it's, it, there, 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 there's a, a place, like I said, we weren't able to come before God. There was someone in between that we had to go to, and they would go to God for us. And, and we see this a lot when it comes to, to, with the Jews in, in the tabernacle of Moses or in the temple later on. When they, in order for them to be forgiven of their sins, they would have to go to the priest and the priest would uh, perform these sacrifices. And with the tabernacle, we see that God was revealing his character to us. One of the things that he was revealing to, to us, or to the Jews at the time, but also to us, is that he is holy and that he is righteous and that sin cannot come before God. But another thing that he revealed is that he desired to bring his people close to them. When we, if you uh, have watched the, the Prince of Egypt or, or read the book of Exodus, you know that God had, had wanted to bring his people. He wanted to dwell in the midst of his people. He took them out of Egypt so that he can dwell in the midst of them. So this God that was saying, you cannot come to me, saying, but I want to be close to you. And all of these things are, are foreshadows of Jesus. And when I explain a foreshadow, hopefully this makes sense. Hopefully I can give good wor- uh, words to help understand this. Let's say that this is a building here. I know this doesn't work for the podcast. but And let's say that the sun is on this side and I'm walking this way. If you're on this side, before you see me, you will see my shadow, right? And you see the shadow, you might not be able to make anything out of it. But all of a sudden when you see me, you're like, oh, I see his hat. In the shadow. I see his glasses in the shadow. I see his beautiful beard in the shadow. You know, you, you see, you, you, you understand? So, so what happens is with the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the New Testament sort of concealed. And the New Testament is like the Old Testament revealed. So it, when the book, when we, since we're starting the book of Hebrews, this is one of the main uh, points of Hebrews to be able to open up the, the, sh- to be able to, to, 
to be the substance of the shadow, to explain everything that they, that they were following and learning before Christ came and how Christ fulfilled all that. I hope that makes sense. So um, as we see this, uh, uh, going back to the book of Hebrews, what we're talking about, we're talking about that Jesus is better than, than the, the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses, better than Joshua. He's a better promised land. He is better rest. And now we're going to be looking at him as the great or better high priest. So to explain the high priest a little bit, I don't want to get too much into it because I'm going to ruin Keith's preaching in a couple of weeks because we're going to be getting deeper into it. So, Well, Aaron was the first high priest. Out of the 12 of tribes of Israel, the Levites were taken as the priest. So to be, to be a high priest, you didn't only have to be a Levite. You had to be a child of Aaron or descendant of Aaron. Not only a descendant of Aaron, but descendant of Aaron's older son. So you could have had hundreds of priests. God bless you. But you're going to, you had hundreds of priests, but you had one high priest at the time. So even though many of us have lived through maybe like seven or eight presidents, it wasn't like this with, with priests because the priest will serve as high priest until he died. So maybe many people came in contact with maybe one or two high priests during their lifetime. So we want to see why Jesus is the great high priest. And going back to verse 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. And the word confession here, it means a profession or a statement of allegiance. It's a formal statement of faith. And it is declaring allegiance to Christ. So another thing, as we look at the background of the book of Hebrews, we know that there were a bunch of Hebrew Christians that were starting to go through persecution. There were, there were, some of them were, were even getting killed. Some families were breaking up. Uh, there was a lot of persecution coming at them. And they were being tempted to go back to the shadow. And if they went back to the shadow, which doesn't make sense because we know that Jesus is better. But if they went back to the shadow, they'll be turning their back on Christ. So this book is written as an encouragement telling them to, to continue in the faith, to continue going toward, toward what is real and what is better, and just knowing that Christ is there with them in the middle of their suffering. So I know for us, when, it, when we are going through times of suffering, we tend to want to walk by sight instead of by faith. We want to be able, we, we look at the things around us instead of looking at what God is doing. And we all struggle with this. So these uh, Hebrews were doing the same thing. They were going and they were, they wanted to look at what, what was there. The physical temple was easy to see. And this temple was the center of Judaism. So if you were Jewish, you would take pilgrimages to the pilgrimages. Yeah. All right. To the, to the, uh, to the, to the temple and you would come and you would see that and you would see the high priest, but it was harder for them to believe in something and to have faith in something that, that they couldn't see. And sometimes when we struggle, we go through the same thing. So we can sympathize with these, uh, with these Hebrew Christians. So the priest, if we see this tent there is, is the tabernacle. And that tent has two rooms. And is there is, you know, it's really not open like that. That's just open so that we can see it. And there's a veil that, that separates the first room from the second room. It's kind of dark there, so I'm not sure if you can see it. But the priest will go in the first room and minister to the Lord. And he would do this constantly every day. But there was one day that the priest was allowed to go into the back room. The first room was called the holy place, and the back room was the holy of holies, and that's where the presence of God was. One day a year, on the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, 
um, as a New Yorker, we wouldn't go to school on Yom Kippur, so I always appreciated that. But anyway, um, so on, on Yom Kippur, the priest would make a sacrifice for the people's sins and go and was able to go on the other side of, of the veil. But in order for the priest to make the sacrifice, because he was a sinner himself, he would have to make a sacrifice for his own sins. So back there is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And you guys are Indiana Jones fans. You guys know what I'm talking about. But there was like a big chest where there were, um, there were two angels there. And, and, and then between there what was called the mercy seat. And the, the, the priest would go with the blood of the animal and sprinkle this blood on the mercy seat. And this mercy seat was a symbol of the throne of God. And how, and read, read the book of Revelation. We see the angels surround the throne of God. This was, uh, the throne, the, before the throne of God. And the priests, part of their, they had a, a certain dress that they used to wear. And what they used to wear, they, they used to have a, a breastplate. There were 12 tribes of Israel, and they would wear a stone to symbolize every single one of the tribes. And they would have the names of six of the tribes here, six of the tribes here. So the priests would literally be carrying the people on his shoulders. Not literally, figuratively. Carrying the priests on his shoulders, but literally have the names on the shoulders. And he would go in, and on behalf of the people, he would come before the Lord. And the sacrifice was made for the people so that their sin can be wiped away just for that one day. And this priest will have to perform these sacrifices daily and once a year, the Day of Atonement, he would do this. One reason why we're talking about this is because what, what God was teaching us through the tabernacle was that our sin is so serious that something has to die because of it. Our sin is so serious that something has to die. We live in a world where we don't like to hear. We don't want anybody calling us sinners, even though we all are. But we don't understand that the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So this animal was to substitute us and it was to be sacrificed. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Our sin is so serious that something has to die because of it. So God established this sacrificial system where this system would cover our sin. But it was a foreshadow of Jesus that would come later on and he will remove our sin. So the priests will go into the presence of God on behalf of the people. So this is uh, so this is the the uh, the like I guess the, the symbol of the of the uh, of the of the tabernacle. And if this priest himself wasn't cleansed, if he didn't uh, do a sacrifice for sin or wasn't living a holy life, he would drop dead in the presence of God, because sin sinful people cannot enter the cannot enter the presence of God, but through the through the removing of sin. Now we can come before God. You understand? So all of that, like I'm saying, is just showing how serious sin is. So now, so we have a high priest. This high priest would have to go into the symbol of God's throne. Our great high priest actually went to heaven, which makes it a better high priest. It wasn't a, a physical thing that symbolized things. Jesus actually went before the throne of God. And he went there, and not only did he go there, he also, by him coming before, the, before God, and him being the first human, because he took on human flesh, to come before God, now he made a way so that all of us can come before God. So this is the fulfillment of what this is the shadow of. That make sense? If we look at um, Hebrews uh, uh, 10, uh, 19 to 23, it says, Therefore, brethren... 
having boldness to enter the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus, like I said, that back room of the Holy of Holies, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So we see that through Christ we have entrance to God. We can come before his presence because our sin wasn't only covered up as the old sacrifice was, but our sin was removed. So we can hold to our confession and have confidence and come before God. Jesus was our forerunner into the presence of God. And he was, the, like I said, the first human flesh to be able to come before God and to behold the beauty of God in human flesh. And now we can all go there. Amen. So we have a superior high priest and a heavenly high priest and we can walk in assurance amen so looking at uh, verse 15 and this is up again so I, I got it the verse 15 says for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who is who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin the bible doesn't teach us about a god and is distant and just lording over his people it teaches about a god who is powerful sovereign and holy but also kind and compassionate and intimately involved with our lives the king of the universe humbled himself to become a human being, to become just like us so that he can be able to represent us and to understand our struggle and to understand our temptation and still remain sinless. And if you think about it, it's almost like if Jesus played undercover boss. You know, if you guys know the show, you know, undercover boss, a, a owner of a company or a president would, would, would disguise himself and become like one of, you know, the lower level employees just to see what it was like. Our Savior did that for us. He became one of us, and he experienced our struggle and experienced our temptation and our pain so that he can identify himself with us. And because of that, he's able to carry our burdens and carry our pain and also experience the joy that we have because all of us have secret sorrows that we struggle with. And we might not talk about it because we might feel that nobody can really understand, but we have a great high priest that can identify with all of our pain and all of our struggles. And this is Jesus Christ. And again, this idea of being able to come before God was foreign for the Jews they can never understand this because they can only go to a priest and the priests go before that. But we don't have an ordinary high priest. We have a great high priest, a superior high priest that understands us and, and, knows, and knows us. So when we talk about Jesus being able to be tempted, become one of us, but at the same time remain sinless, the reason why he's able to do that is because Jesus has two natures. He, has a, he is the son of man, but he's the son of God. And we, uh, theological nerds, we call this the hypostatic union, which talks about how God, how Jesus can have two uh, natures. It's talking about how he is everything that's true to being a man, but he's also everything that's true to being God. He exists with these two natures and he doesn't become any, he didn't become any less God when he took on flesh and he doesn't become any less human, even though at the same time. So he's both. At the same time, 100%, which doesn't make sense mathematically, but hey, we have a God that created the world by speaking into existence, right? 
So why is this important to us? Because like I said, he became flesh in order to perfectly represent us and to sympathize with our weakness. But at the same time, he was fully God. So he was able to be the perfect sacrifice in order for our sins to be removed. He was able to fulfill the Old Testament law and he was able to, 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 to perfectly represent us and at the same time be perfect on our behalf. Because we are sinful, like I said, we cannot come before the presence of God. But Jesus did it for us. He lived the perfect life that we cannot live, and he died the death that we all deserve. And now he gives us his righteousness. And when we come to Christ and we put our faith in, in, in what he did for us on the cross, and we repent of our sins, then he gives us his righteousness. And this righteousness is why we can walk confidently and boldly into the presence of God. When the Father sees us, he does not see our sin and weakness anymore. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which he has given us. So one thing that I do want to say is that temptation itself is not a sin. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted, but temptation is not a sin. When, if, if we give in to temptation, that's when it becomes sin. But if Jesus would have sinned, then his sacrifice wouldn't have been good enough to make a way for us to... To, to, to go to heaven. So like I said earlier, the high priest sacrifice would cover our sin, but it wouldn't remove it. The sacrifice that Jesus made now removes our sin. And not only that, the Old Testament sacrifice had no power to change us. The law would, would tell us what sin was, but through Jesus Christ and the new life that we have, now that's the power to transform our lives. And, and he changes us and transforms us as we identify ourselves with him to become more and more like him. So we have a better sacrifice and a better high priest through Christ. Verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So because we have a superior high priest that makes a way for us to come to God and one that can sympathize with our sin and our struggle and understands us and fulfill the law of sin and death, we can draw near. Like I said earlier, the job of, of, of a priest was to be able to, to symbolically bring the people before God. The job of our great high priest and what the book of Hebrews is about, that our great high priest actually made a way for us to be able to draw near to God. We can come boldly before the throne of grace now. All of us that have been washed by the blood of Christ can boldly before God, come before God. We can come with confidence and having unhesitating assurance that nothing can stop us from coming to him. We can approach him and understand and know that he desires to love us, to forgive us, to bless us, to fill us, and to strengthen us. And this is for those of us that are in Christ. If we are not in Christ then the throne of God is a place of judgment. If we have not been washed by the blood of Jesus and do not have his righteousness, then there's not a place where we want to be. But for those of us, and, and if, if anyone here hasn't, I invite you to come to Christ because then you have free access to God always. But we cannot come before God unless we've been washed by the blood of Christ. If we do not come to Christ, we live in the old covenant. If we come to Christ, we are living in the new covenant, the covenant of grace, where we can come before our God. And we can come, and we could come to this throne, and it says, so that you may receive mercy and grace. How many of us need mercy? 
right? We all blow it once in a while and we need God to be merciful, especially when the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. We do not, we deserve to die. So I know that we need mercy. I know I do. How many of us need grace? How many of us struggle? How many of us struggle to do the will of God? How many of us are constantly, uh, there are thoughts that try to lure us away from Christ? We need his grace. We need his strength. And he's saying, in, this, in these verses, is saying that we can come to obtain mercy and grace. And what you believe about God is going to affect how often you come. And what you believe about God is going to affect how you come. Do we come with arrogance, just expecting forgiveness? Do we come on our own righteousness? Or do we not come because we feel condemnation? Or do we come with confidence? being washed by the blood of Jesus, that we can boldly come before his throne of grace always, even when we mess up. And just think about it. Do you feel more confident to come before God when you're doing well? Should it be that way? Because when we are, we're being legalistic. We are feeling that we can earn access before God when we cannot do anything to earn that access. It has all been done by Jesus. So whether we're doing well or we are struggling, whether we're killing it or whether we've blown it, we need to run to the throne of grace to receive his mercy and to receive his grace. And the enemy is always going to lie to us and say, you're no good. God doesn't want you. Or I don't know if he just says that to me. You know, I struggle with that. I've, I, you know, I've shared, I struggle with feelings of condemnation when I'm not perfect. <laughs> it's a joke. But anyway, you know, but the thing is that But in order for me to make it through when I'm running from God and hiding from him, what is it that I need? I need to run to him, to my savior that understands my struggle and still loves me. That's what we need. We need to be able to run and approach the Lord of mercy and grace. I mean, the mercy seat, like I said, is in the presence of God between the the two angels His throne is a throne of mercy. So we can obtain mercy and obtain grace. So in the next couple of verses is speaking about the characteristics of the Levitical priesthood. Verse 1 says, For every priest, and this is chapter 5, For every priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. And verse 2 says, He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. So as I said earlier, a priest has been chosen from this line and appointed to be able to represent the people before God and to represent the God before people. So they're appointed by God to represent people. They're there for the people and then they're they're from the people in order to represent the people. So, and it says over here that, that a priest has to be able to deal gently and to be uh, compassionate. I mean, the job of a priest wasn't an easy job. They were consistently, you know, uh, slaughtering animals. And they, were, they would come home tired every day and, and bloody because of this job. So they, what they did, they did it because they were, number one, living up to God's call in their life. But they were compassionate towards the people. They knew that there was no other way that the people could come before God in the, in, during those times. So they had to, to bear the burden 
of this sacrifice, of these sacrifices and all these uh, rituals that they had to do. And it was supposed to, and they were doing it for the people. So it was physically, emotionally, spiritually tiring from them. But they, like I said, they had to be uh, compassionate in order for, to do this. And not only this, like I mentioned earlier, they not only did they have to make sacrifice for the people's sins, they had to first be purifying themselves by making sacrifices for themselves to do that. And we know since Jesus was sinless, he did not have to do that. Amen. Verse 4 says, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If, if you were a Jew reading, reading this letter, you'd be saying, Hold up, Jesus can't be a priest. Jesus wasn't from the tribe of Levi. Because we said before that the, we're calling Jesus the high priest, but Jesus was from the tribe of Levi. So it's true that Jesus didn't have Levi genes. That's gonna... <laughs> Most of my jokes, I do it on the spot, but I play on that one. No, that's gonna... <laughs> no. But it's true that Jesus didn't have Levi genes. He was a, he was, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. So this would be an issue for some people that were that were um, that were looking at this for the Jews. They're like, "Wait, maybe I shouldn't be following this Jesus. He's not a priest." But the Bible tells us here about a messianic prophecy in, in Psalm one ten, a prophecy about Jesus that was coming, and it says that he is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is a mysterious character in the Bible that just comes out in two times in the Old Testament. We're going to be learning a lot about Melchizedek from, from chapter 7 to 10. But the one point that's being made here about, uh, about uh, well, Melchizedek, his name means king of righteousness. And he was the king of Salem, which became Jerusalem. I mean, we don't say it like that. but So it's saying here that you cannot make yourself a priest. But Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi, so he wasn't part of the Levitical order. He was a part of a different order that came. This Melchizedek was around before the Levites were around. So the Melchizedekian, if that's a real word, order was something that that preceded the Levitical order. Through the Messianic prophetic psalm, God was saying, I am calling my Messiah to be not part of the Levitical order, but to be a priest in the order of Melchizedek who was a priest king. I'll leave it there. There's more about Melchizedek we're going to be going over in the next couple of weeks. But no one was able to make himself a priest. King Saul tried to make himself a priest and burn offering to God. And what happened? God rejected him as king. King, uh, king Uzziah of Judah tried to, to burn incense before the Lord. And what happened? He was struck with leprosy. Anybody that tried to do priestly duties that was not priest, some of them will die in the Old Testament. Jesus was called according to a, to a different order. In Hebrews 7.25, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a, a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did, did this once and for all when he offered up himself. 
for the law appointed men in their weaknesses as high priests, but the word the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made a perfect had made perfect forever. So he is our perfect and he is our forever high priest. These priests, like I said, they would serve as priests until they died, but they would die eventually. Jesus is our forever high priest because he has indestructible life. He is forever before the throne of God. It's not a temporary priesthood. It is forever high priest. And his sacrifice, when the priest used to make sacrifices daily and make sacrifices once a year on the Day of Atonement, Jesus' sacrifice was made for us once and for all. It is finished. He is a superior high priest. So verse 7 and we see that Jesus identifies us with us through suffering. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who would obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So when we read, when we read these verses, it sort of brings us back to the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that Jesus was arrested. And he had asked some of his disciples to come and pray for him. And he was going through a tough time. And he was making loud cries to the Father. And he prayed and asked the Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. So there was a struggle that Jesus was going through in his humanity. He knew what he was about to go through. And he was in agony. He said, if, if, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in Luke 22, 4, it says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And this is a, a, a medical condition called hematridosis where because of someone's agony, their sweat, their sweat glands are, are, are surrounded by, by I feel, I'm scared because I have a doctor in here, so I don't know if I can explain this well. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I'm playing. <laughs> but anyway, so, so their, their sweat, sweat glands are, are surrounded by tiny blood vessels. And these vessels, they constrict and they dilate and they rupture and the blood goes into the, into the sweat glands and it comes out. So it's a, it's a, it's a medical condition. It's rare, but it's a medical condition. And it's caused by being in extreme anguish. And Jesus said in Matthew and Mark, he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And Jesus knew everything that was going to happen. He knew all the pain, all the physical pain that he was about to go through. He knew that he would be betrayed by one of his closest friends. He knew that he would go through several trials where people would stand there and lie about him. He knew that the same people that were praising him the week before were now going to be yelling for his crucifixion. He knew that he was going to be tortured, that he was going to be whipped to the point of death, that he was going to be spit at and mocked. And he knew that spikes would be driven through his hands and through his feet. And he knew that his father would have to turn his back on him for that moment. When eternity in the past, he has always been in the presence of his father. But when he took on our sin and all the sin of humanity, he became sin. He became a curse. So he knew all these things were going to happen. And this was a very intense battle. And here we see Jesus' humanity like nowhere else in the Bible. 
There was a battle, an inner battle that took place. And he was saying, Father, if there's another way, please let me know. So there was this temptation and struggle. And remember, temptation is not a sin. So what Jesus went through was not sinful. And temptation is like when we get lured away to do something that's not biblical, but it's also when doing what God wants us to do is hard. We're tempted to not do it. So this temptation that Jesus went through was a battle inside of him. But what did he say? He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus took on our flesh and he struggled to obey. How many people go through that? We struggle to obey the word of God, even when we know it's good. This conflict, like I said, it wasn't sinful. It was human. And what did Jesus do? He ran to the Father to obtain, didn't need mercy because he's perfect, to obtain grace, to get strength in his struggle. He tried to bring his friends along and ask for them to pray, but they all fell asleep. They left them alone. It says here that he learned obedience. And the word learn means, it means to learn by practice or experience to acquire a custom or habit. He learned obedience by obeying, by surrendering to the Father's will. And because of his experience and all the rest of his temptations, he is able to be a sympathetic high priest. We all struggle to live the word of God. But as a sympathetic high priest, he can understand what it's like to be tempted and how hard it is to be obedient to God's will. It says here in verse 8 that he learned obedience through what he suffered. So when I, when I thought about his suffering always, I always thought about the cross. And, and there's a suffering in temptation. We suffer. How many times have you been so drawn away from God that there's a battle and you feel like you, you have no strength left. When the enemy is calling you and temptation is calling you and you're trying to hold on and you can't on your own strength. This is suffering. Jesus suffered temptation, but he still did what God wanted him to do. And it's the same for us. It's during these times of suffering that we will understand God's character even more. We get to experience his strength, his love, his grace, and in testing, we are built up to become more and more like Christ. First Peter chapter 4, verse 1 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. We are living in the flesh still. Just like Jesus did, let us live not for our human passions, but let us live for doing the will of God. We will experience suffering in this world if we follow Christ. It's promised to us. But we know that he is there to strengthen us. He sympathizes with us as our great high priest, and we can come before the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace whenever we need help. Verse 9 says, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey 
And the word uh, there for perfect, it means to ex- execute fully, to reach the end. He was already perfect. But what he did, he became the perfect representation for humanity. He came as a man and suffered and being tempted. So he became our perfect representative. And it also says that he became the source of eternal salvation for all who, who, who obey the source is the author or the causer of salvation. We have salvation through Christ and Him alone. And He has taught us that obedience comes by believing. That's what the Word says. And this believing is seen in our actions. So when it comes to obedience, because we are His, because we are saved, that's why we obey His ways. Verse 10 says, And being designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, Jesus has been designated by God as the great high priest of a better order than the the Levitical priesthood, as we spoke about. So just to compare the high priest of Israel to Jesus, Jesus, um, the high priest was from the tribe of Levi. Jesus was from, from the tribe of Judah. The high priest offered bulls and goats as a sacrifice. Jesus was not only the high priest, but he was the sacrifice himself, and he offered his own body. The high priest ministered the law. Jesus ministers grace. The high priest went into the Holy of of Holies once a year. Jesus is permanently in the Holy of Holies. The high priest, his sacrifice would cover sin. Jesus' sacrifice has removed our sin. And the high priest of Israel, he was a temporary high priest until he died. Jesus is our high priest forever. Jesus is our great high priest in a better way. And going back to verse 14, and I don't have it up there, but I'm just going to read it. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can boldly come before the throne of grace. So ask yourself, how do I approach God? Do I approach in confidence? How often do I approach God? We all need to approach Him, to approach His throne of grace, to receive mercy and grace. So in the middle of every struggle, no matter what that is, let us run before the Lord. Let us run to him to obtain this mercy and grace. And I have one simple yet hard application. And the application is cry out to the Lord for help in every situation. Sounds simple, but it's hard because of all the inner battles that we have inside. And our feeling like if Jesus doesn't want us, he is the great high priest. So in the middle of temptation, in the middle of pain, in the middle of struggle, and even in the middle of failure, run to the throne of grace.